0: To episode eight of Pale Blue Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the
1: universe but want to be its friend. Hmm. Uh, I'm Krin Caputo. I'm a comedian and a writer, and I am a friend to the universe. Hmm.
0: And I am Dr. Moya McTear. I'm an astrophysicist and folklorist, and yes, I am also
1: a friend to the universe. Uh huh. It's true. And especially. <laughs> here, I, I'm really excited to invite the universe into the space yes. we're recording today, yes. which is we are on the top floor of a bookstore where it's more um, like seats and coffee than it is like people here for like the latest release. Mm-hmm. There's like some curated vintage books by us and just like cozy old carpet stuff. Um, it's a really, it's really cozy up here and you can see everyone down below. Yeah, it's great people watching up here. Mm hmm. Definitely. hmm.
0: Uh, So while we are in this bookstore, uh, we're going to be talking about space junk, all the space junk, all the space debris, Mm -hmm. the space trash, that stuff that is out there in orbit around Earth.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a ton of it. Right. Oh, my God. There's so much. And
0: There's So much. It's
1: kind we of a problem. We just really try to pollute anything we get our hands on. We're polluting. Oh my god, we so do. This is like the. I, you know how they
0: they talk about if aliens were observing Earth, they would think that the whole point of the human experience is to like create poop to create garbage. or to or to take care <laughs> yeah. of take care of animals. I think that they might say the point of the human experience is to create garbage in as many yeah. areas as we can. And that and that's what capitalism's all about, isn't it? <laughs> So sad. So sad. I I just love thinking about anti-capitalist aliens out there in the universe.
1: <laughs> yeah, like they, they are familiar with capitalism mm. and they're strongly against it. Right. You know, because they're if they are traveling around in
0: space, they've advanced enough. They've gone through some experiences. Oh, yes. They probably had a capitalist phase. Um, mm-hmm. But just like many people go through phases
1: early in their life, they're like, mm-hmm. no, that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, this actually shouldn't be for anyone.
0: Mm-hmm. Mhm. Oh, maybe maybe there is this band of traveling anti-capitalist aliens out there in the universe going around and teaching planets that they come across the dangers
1: of capitalism. Oh, that would be I would watch that show. <laughs>
0: Me too. <laughs> it was like, yeah, what's a Star Trek for the people? The Yeah, <laughs> the
1: people's Star Trek. Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so, let's get into it. Let's talk about yeah. some space junk. Um there are, you know, as broad as you can go, there are two types of space junk. There is natural space junk that was made by the universe, and there is human-made space junk that we created and then sent out to pollute the low Earth orbit. hmm Because we suck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about natural space junk first, and then we'll get to all the human-made debris in the later part of the
1: episode. Okay, cool.
0: Um, So natural space junk comes to us mostly in the forms of comets and asteroids. Corinne, do you have any feelings, reactions to comets and asteroids?
1: Well, I love a comet. Mm. Um, I think they're pretty. And I know a lot about them because at the Space Center I used to work at, my favorite mission was our comet mission, where a comet was headed straight for Earth. And the kids discover that halfway through their mission, and they spend the second half of their mission... Um, we like did a group brainstorm of how we can like solve this. And Mm -hmm. then in the second half of the mission, they land a probe on the comet and push it away. Oh, nice. That's so cute. Um, We'll
0: talk more about this later, but NASA yeah. did something very similar recently. Uh
1: huh. Yeah. Uh huh. I saw every time that's in the news where there's like some kind of exciting piece of like a comet is headed straight for Earth or something, or like not the NASA version, but like right. the National Enquirer version. I'm like, <laughs> the shitty tabloid version. Exactly. I'm like, don't worry. I've trained 20,000 New York City public school students for <laughs> this exact moment.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for your service, Corinne. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have? Do you do you have a favorite
1: comet or, like, a favorite meteor shower? Ooh, I don't. I, you know, I always want to watch them, and I haven't. I'm in Portland, Maine right now, so there is, like, some great sky views that I never had in New York City because it's just, like, way less light pollution and being slightly further north, we've, like, mm. just seen really cool stuff. So nice. But I don't think I have a favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you? No, I've actually, I've never seen one. Yeah, I don't think I—I I don't know if I've seen a comet. I don't know. I feel like— in comets to me are are like big deals and I don't know if that's true or if that's just like pop culture where there's like you Mm -hmm. know Halley's Comet Mm -hmm. and like they're this significant events but I have seen like you know shooting star type things which obviously aren't stars but are like you know something burning up fast Mm -hmm.
0: yeah absolutely um yeah historically in in folklore uh, people have made a big deal about some comets because it's it's when a comet returns, they're much bigger yes. than little uh, meteors, and mm-hmm. so they make a bigger vision on the sky. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's how I picture them too. Mm-hmm. And I I think that a lot of stories have been told about comets, so they are very uh, important in our. Like collective yeah. conscience. consciousness. Consciousness? Mm-hmm. Consciousness. Collective consciousness. <laughs> Words are hard, friends. Um, okay, so there are asteroids and comets. What's the difference here? Let's get into it. Both comets and asteroids orbit the sun just like the Mm -hmm. planets do, but asteroids are made of rock and they tend to orbit closer to the sun, while comets are made of ice and dust and tend to orbit much farther away from the sun. So Mm -hmm. those comets that we see, like Halley's Comet, um, they are coming from uh, the outer solar system on a very eccentric orbit, so not circular, but more like an oval shape, flying closer to the sun and because they're made of ice and dust they melt and then you get this long yeah, stream tail. yeah the tail of material yeah. that can go for like so many miles so many mm-hmm. miles um so they look they look a lot bigger
1: they look really cool
0: mm-hmm. um but you might be asking okay that's a comet that's a, an asteroid but what a, what are meteors and like what, yeah. what meteoroid meteorite like what's what's going on a meteoroid, it starts off as a meteoroid, and that is a small piece, usually like a like a broken-off piece of an asteroid or a comet. So when it's floating around, that is a meteoroid. By the time it gets close to our atmosphere and becomes what we call a shooting star, then it's a meteor. So it's a meteor when it's in our atmosphere. And once it okay. crashes, once it lands on Earth's surface, then it is meteorite? a meteorite why do we do this i don't know
1: <laughs> i don't know. I feel know. like we don't
0: actually need different words for all of these different stages of a tiny yeah, little rock yeah. but
1: okay it feels very like old language mm. like latin language kind of stuff where we're, con- we're just conjugating this word to like yes. better express what's going on but instead it's just like annoying yes. it's exhausting yes really. <laughs>
0: absolutely old-timey scientists fucking loved to give things more names
1: than they needed like to break it up into even smaller categories they're just trying to keep science out of the hands of the common man honestly (laughs) probably (laughs) yeah they're like wait i want to be in charge of the information (laughs) those people are the reason we can't just get a
0: degree in science anymore (laughs) because they generated so much knowledge and so much like useless vocabulary that now we have to go into special subfields exactly (laughs) (laughs) i think about that so often like 400 years ago, you could just go to school for science. I didn't even realize that. Or like, philosophy. But,
1: of course, that makes sense. I mean, like, even in elementary school, it's, like, you take English, math, science, Mm -hmm. and then, like, that month, you're thinking about, you know, whatever subcategory, but it's still... It's still in my green notebook, (laughs) science. (laughs) With your little drawings in the margins. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Just like drawing little hearts over and over. Oh, that's cute. I do find that that helps me listen. Like it's so much easier to listen in a lecture if I'm like occupied in some small way. That's valid. That's, there's, like, actual
0: science that backs yeah. that up. Yeah. Not that your lived experience wasn't enough, but. No,
1: no, but to, but it helps to have the science behind you, because otherwise teachers are like, "Will you stop that and listen, mm-hmm. and you're like, uh, I kind of am. Mm-hmm. I drew a lot of weird crosses
0: in my notebooks <laughs> as a child. Not like a crucifix, you know, like not a Christian cross, right, but, right. like
1: weird crosses <laughs> like you're conjuring something <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: i wouldn't be surprised if there are some demons roaming around green county pennsylvania because i accidentally conjured them you. with my notes oops <laughs>
1: On a heat map of like paranormal experiences, it's like bright red.
0: <laughs> my doodles actually turned my hometown into a hellmouth, and now Buffy the yeah. Vampire Slayer
1: lives there. <laughs> and I decided to leave. but That's why I'm gone. Got yeah, it.
0: it had nothing to do with the racism or the lack of running water. It was no, all no, about not wanting to live around that. demons. <laughs> so, back to science. Um, where can you find these asteroids and these comets? Um, most asteroids live in the asteroid belt. It's a very appropriately mm-hmm. named part of our solar system between Mars and Jupiter. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just tell you that I was gonna like ask you to guess how big it is, but like that's that's cruel. how big uh, the belt
1: is. Yeah. like how wide? Yeah, oh my God. I want to say way bigger than I think.
0: it's it is. It's huge. I will tell you that it is more than a hundred million miles wide. <gasps> and 20 million miles thick and it goes all the way around the sun so if you do that math to calculate a volume uh it is four quintillion cubic miles which is 10 followed by 18 zeros that is so
1: big wait i had no idea it's really fucking big how have we ever sent something past mars Great question, Corinne. <laughs>
0: You're getting lots of little claps. Yeah. <laughs> um, so even though this spans a very large volume, there's a lot of space in between individual asteroids. Okay. The the average space between them is about 100,000 miles. We have sent spacecraft beyond Mars, beyond Jupiter. Um, we've sent spacecraft that have kind of left the solar system they've gone beyond Pluto Mm -hmm. Uh, both Voyager 1 and 2 passed through the asteroid belt and had no problems they didn't even touch any tiny little rocks in fact uh, it's kind of counterintuitive but because all these asteroids are so spaced out it's easier to miss an asteroid than it is
1: to land to hit one one. yeah Mm -hmm. sure that makes sense Mm -hmm. I feel like in pictures, though, it's like... I mean, it's hard to visualize how far apart things are in space anyway. Mm -hmm. But in in these, like, kind of illustrations of the asteroid belt, they feel so dense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they do that. It's really hard to depict scale (laughs) in space. Yeah. Um, It's actually... I have never—it might actually be impossible. I've never seen anyone be able to demonstrate the scale of the solar system in both size and distance. Because if you're doing um, the distance scale right, then you need,
1: like, a huge piece of paper Yeah. um, or, like, a very large computer screen. Totally. There is some simple website that's tried to do it where it just, like, it starts scanning you across the solar system but and then it takes like 10 minutes yeah. to get between like planet A and B. Mm-hmm.
0: You have to do that. You cannot show it all on one thing. Cuz if you do the yeah. size if you do the the distance right, the size you can't see so the small, sizes, right? yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Mild. So the solar system's big, and the solar system is just one very small part of our galaxy, which is just one small galaxy in the vast wide universe. We're so small. I love it. <laughs> I love it. We're all we have. Let's love each yeah. other.
1: That's uh, really
0: sweet. Um, so that's the asteroid belt. Most of the comets come from much further away in the solar system, out beyond the orbits of Neptune and Pluto, which we established Mm -hmm. in the first episode of this show, is still a planet. Mm -hmm. It's just a special kind of planet. (laughs) Um, but they come from this region called
1: the Kuiper Belt or the Oort Cloud. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of either of these? I know Kuiper Belt. Okay, good. Oort Cloud sounds like some kind of fantasy creature. (laughs)
0: Oh, oh! That thought will live in my head for so long. Thank you, Corinne.
1: Yeah. Like an orc is some like thing on a mountain that you like fight to get the ring in the volcano or whatever.
0: It's Just because it sounds like orc, Corinne. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You- oh, yeah. I guess it does. <laughs> the the orcs are our distant cousins to the orc <laughs> with slightly better temperament. <laughs> oh, oh! Actually, no. I I have it. The orcs. So, the, like, orcs come from volcanoes, but
1: orcs come from glaciers.
0: Yes. Yes, definitely. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that, that's it.
1: <laughs> come, come at me, Wizards of the Coast. Oh, my God. These orcs are scarier than I thought. I just Googled an image of them again. They're scary. <laughs> um, I,
0: I have been sexually attracted to several orcs that I've seen on a screen. <laughs>
1: okay me that's like me and robin hood it's like the hottest thing you've ever seen when you're seven years old wait, wait but like robin hood as a fox oh yeah oh my god that's oh, like okay. a whole thing online of like that was a hot fox
0: i agree that's a hot fox <laughs> <laughs> look <laughs> now is not the time to have an in-depth discussion about all the things that moya has been sexually attracted to but
1: <laughs> also when they were making that fox they knew they knew they knew yeah
0: they were like you know, we've seen <laughs> Jessica Rabbit. Now we're gonna make the sexy now fox. Now we're gonna
1: make Rabbit. <laughs> we got to make something for the parents who are taking their kids here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah. So, if orcs come from volcanoes and orts come from glaciers, the, the <laughs> thing that you can remember from that is that the Oort cloud is very, very cold, and that's because it's mm-hmm. very far away from the sun. Uh, so let's start with the Kuiper Belt first. Okay. Uh, The Kuiper Belt is a ring of icy objects beyond the orbit of Neptune discovered. When do you think we discovered the Kuiper Belt?
1: I always get this wrong. I know, which is why I like to ask. (laughs) (laughs) This is again, I'm like, okay. I feel like it's been around my whole life. So like the 70s. Mm -mm. No, has it been around my whole life? (laughs) I don't know
0: how old you are, Corinne. But it, there's oh a God, chance. I'm actually 105. <laughs> <laughs> then no, it was discovered after your birth. There, There's a chance that we've known about the Kuiper Belt for exactly as long as you've been for alive. For exactly. Okay, I was born
1: in 91. Oh, okay, okay. You're older than our discovery of the Kuiper Belt by just one year. 1992! <gasps> I don't wanna be older than it. (laughs) I wanna be younger than it. Corinne,
0: the (laughs) the Kuiper belt itself is is almost
1: five billion years old. So
0: you're older than than younger than the belt, but older than its discovery. I'm really
1: trying to cope with being older now. (laughs) I'm (laughs) just constantly being reminded I'm older than I think.
0: (laughs) That's what happens. It it will continue to happen more and more frequently, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. No, I hate as we
1: both age. I know my low back every day has been different than it was pre Pre-COVID, Aww. even those three years have really done a number on me.
0: Time does move faster the further away you are from the surface of the Earth. So, if you want to age more slowly, Corinne,
1: you should spend all of your time at sea level. <laughs> yeah, gotta go immediately underground. <laughs> <And> <laughs> no exposure to sun damage and time moves differently. Yes, and then you
0: you would be and look very young. Exactly. But you also wouldn't have any friends. I know.
1: Again, it feels like
0: a capitalist scheme. Mm-hmm. Everything to get is. <laughs> <laughs> um so the the Kuiper belt itself is 20 astronomical units or 2 billion miles across. Wow. It's a big boy. That's really big. Mhm. We discovered that in 1992 out beyond the orbit of Neptune. It's if, for people who don't consider Pluto a planet, they consider it just one of the larger objects in the Kuiper belt. Okay. And the reason Pluto was demoted was because all of those other big objects in the Kuiper belt would then add thousands of planets to our our list in the solar system.
1: Yeah, and there's no mnemonic device for that. No, you would.
0: I mean, you could make a mnemonic device for that, but it would look like a, like, like a Proust could. novel. Like it would look. <laughs> yeah, or a, exactly. Some, some very wordy <laughs> old timey writer. I Ulysses, think. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's a, it would have to be a James Joyce book. It's the Bible, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is your mnemonic if we include all of the objects in the Kuiper Belt that are as big as Pluto or bigger. But not all of the comets come from the Kuiper Belt. Some of them come from beyond, we think, uh, Mm -hmm. from something that we call the Oort Cloud. And I have been talking about the Oort Cloud in my science communication work for a very long time because I did a project in graduate school where I simulated the orbits of stars to see how often they would fly close enough to each other to interrupt their planets, which meant I had to look at uh, our spot, in the galaxy, like our solar system spot in the galaxy, to see if people, if other stars, I call them people, to see if people, <laughs> to see if these stellar people come, come close enough to our solar system. And I always said in all of my talks for that project, uh, you know, if something, if another star passed within a thousand astronomical units of us, it would be within the Oort cloud. Like I have mentioned the Oort cloud in so many presentations and I learned Yesterday, while I was preparing for this episode, that it's just a predicted thing. We have never actually observed the Oort cloud.
1: What? I know. I know. So that's why you were saying it comes from beyond.
0: Beyond.
1: <laughs> we yeah. don't know what's out there. I mean, we're pretty sure that it is
0: this spherical cloud of icy objects that surrounds the entire solar system going out to uh, or starting at a trillion miles from the sun. We are wow. pretty sure that that should be there based on uh, seeing comets come from uh, a place that would be beyond the Kuiper Belt based on, like, its speed and based on what we know about planet and star formation. Like, there should be a bunch of stuff out there.
1: Now, is this Oort Cloud-type thing around all galaxies, or is it just, like... Just the solar system. Just the solar... Oh, just the solar system. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: it's just around the solar system. It's a part of our galaxy. It is a part of our galaxy. I guess... I really like thinking about space as fractal, so it looks the same on, on different scales. So if you imagine a galaxy um, as something with a black hole at the center, and then there's this disk of stars around it, uh, if it's a spiral galaxy, and then there's the dark matter halo in a bubble around that, solar mm-hmm. systems are just the same. Instead of a black hole, you have a star at the center. Instead of uh, uh-huh. a disk of stars, you have a disk of planets. And instead of a dark matter halo, you have an Oort cloud.
1: It's like, it looks like some kind of, like, protective shield around us. Yeah. <laughs> when you Google images. Yeah, it kind of
0: does. And I wish uh, we had actually observed it so we knew how dense it was or uh, yeah. and how many comets there are in it. But no, it's predicted. It's probably a lot.
1: It looks dense. It looks dense on here, but I also thought the asteroid belt was way denser than it exactly. was. So. Those artist renderings are deceiving. Yeah, they really
0: are. hmm You might be wondering if these asteroids and comets are dangerous to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's definitely been a lot of talk in the media. There have been a lot of TV shows and movies uh, that use the danger of asteroids and comets as a plot point. But they're probably not that dangerous to us. We most likely do not need to worry about asteroids and comets. We are not the dinosaurs. (laughs) And also, like, that asteroid that that killed the non-avian dinosaurs, that was a fluke. You know, that's not going to yeah, happen more so than like, once in, like, several billion years.
1: That's an exception to the rule, yeah. Yeah, because yeah.
0: space is so big. The chances, mm-hmm. the chance of two things colliding, quite small. Um, so we yeah. probably don't have to worry, but here is some more information so that you can make up your own mind about that. Mm-hmm. So about 50,000 tons of meteor material and cosmic dust fall on the surface of the Earth every single year. We are getting hit oh. by, uh, I guess
1: meteors um, that then become meteorites <laughs> every yeah. every single day. And it's not, I guess it hasn't disrupted life enough right. here for if, to be noticeable even. Right.
0: It hasn't. Um, if anything, it has given us cool, precious material. And we've been able to learn about uh, our solar system mm-hmm. by studying these meteorites. So um, it's good that we are gaining all of this material that's falling to our surface every year. Just like a fun fact, the Earth uh even though stuff is falling on it, the earth is actually losing mass every year. Like the earth the earth is losing weight.
1: Whoa. Why? So we, we gain fifty
0: thousand tons from uh meteors and dust, but we lose about a hundred thousand tons every single year because of gas, mostly like hydrogen, escaping our atmosphere. Uh oh. Yeah. Isn't that wild? So that sounds bad. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's totally fine. Okay. Like, It's just going to happen because uh, by the time you get to the outer edges of our atmosphere, uh, the gravity it isn't as gravity, strong. Yeah. And you're dealing with the, the wind from the sun, the solar mm-hmm. wind coming off and like moving away particles. Got it. Yes. So Earth is is losing weight every year. <laughs> and there is no moral judgment on that. That is neither good nor no, bad. No. That is just a fact. Um, it is not dangerous because they're rare. Uh, you know, these very dangerous asteroids that are big enough and actually have the right trajectory to hit earth. Those are rare, but they might happen. So, uh, Space agencies around the world are monitoring asteroids and comets just to make sure none of them are getting close to us. One of these organizations is NASA, uh, specifically their Center for Near Earth Object Studies. NEO. <laughs> NEOS. N- <Nios. laughs> NEO. No, it's actually. The one. C- KNEOS <laughs> with a C.
1: Oh, the center, of course. I can't mm-hmm. forget the center.
0: So, KNEOS. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great Greek name. Like, I'm sure there is yeah, that's something called Keneos out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Keneos coordinates with the Planetary Defense Coordination Office, headquartered in Washington, D.C. Um, so together they work on monitoring all of the asteroids and comets and analyzing their orbits to figure out if they might intersect with Earth. Earlier this year, just a few months ago, NASA practiced their Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART, which is an acronym mm. that actually works, so good for them. I like that one, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes the ball goes in the hoop. Some Sometimes they don't miss. Well, when you make them this constantly,
1: yes. <laughs> when when you make them this often, sometimes they're going to land. Yes, like- even a broken <laughs> clock is right twice a day. Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> um so the Dart mission sent a spacecraft slamming into an asteroid that we detected. Uh, that asteroid was called Dimorphos, and the impact knocked it off of its orbit. Um, the The number that I saw was uh, it knocked it off its orbit by 33 minutes. And I'm like, okay, so will it take 33 that, less minutes or more minutes? Like, I, just bias some time. Yeah. I, th- I think what it's <laughs> saying is that. Um, after the spacecraft hit the asteroid, that asteroid would have reached its uh, destination 33 minutes later, which is enough time. Okay. You know, imagine this asteroid was not headed for Earth, but mm-hmm. if it had been, uh, 33 minutes would give us enough time for the Earth to, like, yeah. move more in its orbit around the sun. Sure, sure. To miss the asteroid. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was successful. Mostly. Scientists are still analyzing the data and the outcomes from the test. We have to see, um, you know, when the impact happened, there was an explosion. It created a lot of other debris. So we have to see um, if that debris might be dangerous mm-hmm. to us. But overall... Yeah, you don't want to
1: make more little guys exactly. who are going to fall down. Yeah. yeah.
0: Overall, the mission was a success. And now if there is an asteroid headed toward us, we would detect it because of... Uh, Kineos, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and then we could
1: we could nudge it away with with another dart. I love that, and that's exactly what we guided the students to Good. during their mission Good. at the space center. Good.
0: Um, so we are interested in studying these asteroids and comets because of the defense and deflection angle, uh, but we can also study them to learn about science. Um, We can study meteorites, the stuff that actually falls to the surface of Earth, to learn about the state of our solar system in its early stages. It's kind of like a time capsule that tells us what the solar system was like when the sun was still very young. Um, And Mm -hmm. one of the, I think, most important calculations that we've been able to do thanks to meteorites is calculate the age of the Earth um, and the sun and the solar system. So it's, it's really hard to do that with material from Earth. Because Earth has this rock cycle that's constantly uh, taking rocks from the surface, bringing them down under, um, into like the core of the planet, doing something with them and then putting them back onto (laughs) the surface (laughs) look this is not a podcast about geology yeah the little trolls that live down there are like (laughs) (laughs) i could i do know this i could talk about geology but this is an astronomy podcast i'm I'm, we're staying on track yeah i'm focusing on (laughs) stuff above the surface of the earth so (laughs)
1: exactly (laughs) the rock
0: cycle things happen Under, underneath in the core, and then the rocks come back to the surface, and they have been changed in a way that makes it so we can't use those rocks to measure the age of the Earth. Okay. So, what we have to do is get rocks from out in space that haven't undergone this recycling process, because Uh, they are still in their original form from when the solar system was born. So, we can, like, radio date those objects to measure the age of the solar system. And we did... We now know that the solar system is like four and a half billion years old. And there are a lot of ways to know that now. But in the olden days, they were getting some very inaccurate ages for the Earth and the sun and the solar system. Yeah, I'm sure. So it's good that we have these asteroids that are constantly bombarding the Earth. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, I'd say the third reason that some, I am not personally very... Or at all interested in this. But the third reason that some people are interested in comets and asteroids is for resource mining. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like we we could actually fly to an asteroid if it's big enough, land on it, and extract uh, precious metals from, yeah. from the asteroid. Um, companies and labs across the world have spent so much money developing ways to mine asteroids. When I was an undergrad in astronomy at Harvard, one of my classmates her uh like senior thesis project was figuring out how feasible it would be to land on different types of asteroids and what types of materials you'd be able to get from them so like there's active research and energy and labor being put into resource mining from asteroids um, but it has never been done successfully we have not yet done this A couple um, spacecraft have brought samples of asteroids back to us. Uh, Japan's Hayabusa mission and NASA's OSIRIS-REx, which is scheduled to return a sample next fall. So in fall of 2023, Mm -hmm. they are returning these tiny little samples of the rock, which is not enough for resource mining.
1: Right, right. Of course not.
0: I hope we don't get to this.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that feels like it's creating a whole other economy of like bad rich people getting badder and richer. I know. <laughs> I know. And the thing
0: is, if we were to uh, lean further into this asteroid resource mining, into this asteroid mining process, we would then be creating a lot more human-made space junk. Yeah, which, which brings of us to course. what I think might might be the sadder half of the episode. Definitely. It's good to end on the sad note, (laughs) right? Of course. Well, it doesn't have to be sad. It's it's all in how you frame it. Let's not assign moral judgments. These are just facts that we're sharing with you. Facts. Just the facts, ma'am. Hi, it's Moya, and I wanted to give a quick but very enthusiastic shout out to our amazing patrons who are keeping Pale Blue Pod going. First, I want to thank our pre-main sequence stars, Liv, Malachi, Wade, Threes the Charm, and Tiana. I love you, cuz. And I want to extend a very warm, by human standards, thank you to our latest Red Dwarf star, Mike Jones. I'm so proud of you for starting Fusion in your core. And as always, thank you so much to our sun-like stars, Sharn Llewellyn and Finn. I'm so grateful for your solar-like light that you are just shining on us every single day. You, too, can support us, hear your name on this pod, and make it to our patron star chart by supporting us on Patreon. You can find the star chart, the Patreon info, and more at our website, palebluepod.com, or you can just skip the middle site and go straight to patreon.com slash palebluepod, whatever you want. Either way, uh, the information is
1: available on our site, and we would love to say your name on this podcast. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I know I feel like my best when I'm confident and have a good grip on my life, but I also know that feeling can be rare. When you're at your best, you can do great things, and sometimes life just gets you bogged down, and you may feel overwhelmed, or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you, because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. And therapy is helpful for so many reasons. I can't emphasize enough how much therapy has helped me. I used to describe my days like I'm feeling like I'm holding too many balloons and if I make any movement in any direction, I might lose them all. And these days, it's so much easier to manage my anxiety, myself, my goals, just everything in my life. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills, learning how to set boundaries, and so much more. And I want to emphasize it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. Anyone can benefit from it. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com PaleBluePod today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot PaleBluePod.
0: If you would like more space in your life than you can get from the one weekly episode of Pale Blue Pod, I'd like to recommend a fellow astronomy podcast called The Cosmic Companion. It's an astronomy news podcast that comes out every week on Saturdays, and it brings the mystery of the cosmos down to Earth in podcast, video, and 3D environments. They're fancy over there. (laughs) Uh, They feature friendly interviews with scientists, authors, and developers around the globe. But Cosmic Companion is hosted by James Maynard, who grew up around the space program and has dedicated his professional life to continuing the work of Carl Sagan, who inspired the name of Pale Blue Pod. So thank you, Carl. James Maynard uses the latest technology to humanize science education and wants science to be fun. He wants you to enjoy the exploration of the universe together, so you can go check out the Cosmic Companion coming out weekly on most podcast platforms. Uh, Just search for The Cosmic Companion in your favorite podcast app.
1: Hey, it's Corinne. I want to recommend another fantastic podcast in the Multitude family. Spirits is a history and comedy podcast focused on everything folklore, mythology, and the occult, told through the lens of feminism, queerness, and modern adulthood. Every week, mythology buff Julia and her childhood best friend Amanda get together to learn about a different story from mythology and folklore over drinks. That's everything from the mythological origins of major franchises like Lord of the Rings and Wonder Woman, to modern urban legends, to a roundup of werewolf stories from around the world. There are even episodes that Moya and I guest on. Start listening with any of the 300 plus episodes they've released over the last six years. Whether you're here for analysis of mental health in mythology or modern ghost stories, there's so much to enjoy. Dive in at spiritspodcast.com or search for Spirits wherever you download your podcasts.
0: Okay, so uh, moving on to human-made junk, like satellites and rockets and spaceships Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, We have launched thousands of rockets into space. And those rockets are made of different component parts that break up as you enter different... uh, levels or stages of your launch so for every one rocket there are several pieces of space junk that get produced oh my um, God. lately we are starting to uh, develop rockets that can be reused so they'll re-enter the atmosphere mm-hmm. um, which is great um, but we're still generating a lot of a lot of junk uh, there's also a lot of old satellites up in space we send them up yeah they stop working and it's not like we have a an easy retrieval. There's no retrieval. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they just stay there. Um, occasionally they do just fall back to Earth in an uncontrolled re-entry. Aye, aye, and aye. That that is more dangerous <laughs> to us than like space asteroids.
1: Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So how much is
0: there? You said before, Corinne, that there's a bunch. There's, there's so, much. so much. There's so much. There's so much. Rough estimates say that there are about eight thousand tons worth of human-made space oh junk out God. there in orbit around earth. Um, almost 30,000 pieces of space junk are larger than a softball. Wow, that's so big. It's really big and there are 30,000 of them and growing like more all the time and when you're talking about smaller
1: pieces there are millions of them, Yeah. That makes me think all of the, like, pictures of, like, a beautiful, pristine Earth from, like, the ISS or whatever mm-hmm. is, like, totally not true when there's, like, all these dangerous things right there. Right there. Well, I mean, the ISS is pretty close to us. Yes, that's true.
0: Um, and a
1: lot of these junk
0: pieces are quite small. Small enough that they wouldn't show up in those pictures, but... They are all moving so fast. So um, yeah. these, these pieces range in size from like individual flecks of paint all the way up to full satellites that have not broken down oh my God. or come out of the atmosphere. And they're all moving so fast. Um, in order to stay in orbit around the Earth, you have to be moving at a certain speed or else you'll sub- succumb to the pull of gravity. Mm-hmm. So to stay in orbit, you have to be moving at at least 17,000 miles per hour. So all of these tiny little space junk pieces, including the little flecks of paint, are moving at like 17,500 miles an hour. And at that speed, even something as small and light as a fleck of paint can cause damage. Um, NASA has actually had to repair several windows because of what they realized were paint spots flying through
1: space and hitting their window and creating these these little cracks. Wait, hitting the window of the ISS? Yeah. I was like, NASA's just replacing their office windows every few months <laughs> because of paint no no like up in yeah. space
0: We have to replace space windows
1: because of space paint yeah, that can't be an easy thing to do no. you can't just like open the window <laughs> <laughs>
0: No I'm sure there's a whole complicated process yeah involved um, but it can it can get more dangerous than that um, imagine you are an astronaut out side of the ISS because mm-hmm. you're doing a repair. Maybe you're fixing one of those windows. You're wearing a space yeah. suit. Um, the fleck of paint probably isn't enough to to damage your suit, but something the size of, like, a small pebble absolutely would fuck you up. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. And, and beyond that, it can be a danger to important parts of a spacecraft. Um, I remember hearing a story about this from a few years ago. So I, I went to look it up and then I found out that it happened again very recently. Um, so <laughs> back in December, this it, right now, it's December. yeah. And this month, <laughs> the Russian Soyuz capsule on the International Space Station started leaking coolant out into space, likely after being hit by a small little meteoroid. And it's radiator. Like, no, we have created enough space junk that we are now endangering our precious uh, space missions. So that sucks. Oh
1: my god, this this reminds me of my astronaut training show where we met, where <laughs> there was like this short-lived game where there was a hole breach, mm. and then I gave the scientists like these bags full of random junk, and you had to patch this hole in a piece of oak tag with like the random shit I gave you. <laughs> That's incredible. I don't think I ever played that game. Yeah, it was, it didn't last long. It was more fun for me to watch than it was for the audience to watch. Mm. (laughs) So we did cut it eventually. Okay. I remember the
0: game where you made me put on a giant helmet and then, and also a big, a big like bubble bubble suit. suit. And you made me run around this space, which is in a basement in New York City. So not much room. And the tables are pretty close close together. You made
1: me run around and pick up space rocks. You were, yeah, you had to go get some samples for the team. <laughs> all of those samples, by the way, were like things I made of model magic Good. like the day before. Good. And they were always like half dry by the time to show. <laughs> Ooh, why is this sticky? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. It's because space is sticky.
1: That's not yeah, true. It is true.
0: Don't remember that. Well, oh. yeah, don't remember that, but
1: <laughs> you can think of all those rocks as a fluid.
0: You can! <laughs> Actually, you really can. Like the, the, asteroid if belt and the together. Kuiper belt as they move together. Yeah, yeah. Like they're moving as as kind of a fluid. Look at you, Corinne. Oh, yeah. Shouting out to last episode. I'm
1: really getting smart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard last week's episode. <laughs> yeah, you did. That's a callback. So we have put out so much junk into space that people have started to come up with uh, theorems and syndromes and effects about the consequences of our space junk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in 1978, A NASA scientist named George Kessler uh, came up with this theory that ended up being called the Kessler effect. And his theory uh, was that there's going to be a point in our production of space debris where it would spiral out of control um, because Uh. any random collision of two big enough objects would then create... A bunch of other small objects that yeah. could lead to more future going, collisions. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. in his initial paper about this, he was like, "We're gonna reach this point where it's untenable in 2000. Like, we have to figure something out." Um, that was revised a couple times, and it's like it's kind of um, subjective, like when we actually reach this this Kessler mm-hmm. point. But things are already bad right now, so... Yeah,
1: they feel it. They feel it,
0: yeah. (laughs) So we are now trying to figure out ways to mitigate and fix this space debris problem. So there are a few uh, different ways that agencies around the world are trying to fix the space junk problem. Most of these methods uh, involve nudging the space junk just enough so that it falls back to Earth and burns up as it enters our atmosphere. So we're just creating, like, a giant burn pile. Okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I like that idea. <laughs> I agree. It's <laughs> a, get rid of it. It's a good idea. Let's just burn it up. Um, occasionally, these space objects fall back to Earth themselves, and they, if they're small enough, burn up in the atmosphere. But there are a few different, like, specific ways that some places are doing this. So Japan has this one project where they want to use a very long—I think it's— um, Six football fields long, uh, a big electrified rope. So I guess the point is that as this this rope, as this tether is moving around in orbit, the uh, electric field of this rope will interact with the metals in these space objects, mm-hmm. and push them towards the atmosphere somehow. Huh. It's... Okay. Yeah. It's unclear
1: to me how, how this would work. <laughs> it feels like Wonder Woman's lasso. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they somehow got that up there. <laughs> they were like, great. Anything you could hit, that would be great. <laughs> They're going to
0: lasso of truth us all the way to having yeah, exactly. no no Kessler issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's one of Japan's methods. Um, the European Space Agency is going to launch their mission called Clear Space, a spacecraft that was built by the Swiss, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. They're launching that in 2025. (laughs) (sighs) And it is just a big claw. It's like the claw machine from an arcade. The claw machine. Oh, my God. They're going to grab space objects and then, I guess, just like
1: put it in their trash can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or like fling it and like redirect it towards the
1: atmosphere. But they're playing the claw game. They're playing the claw game. Maybe that is the fix, like a super simple thing. I I don't know why. I just like to think that like the smartest of the smart people think of these like super creative solutions. And it's like, what about a claw? claw?
0: (laughs) Well, one other potential solution was a big net that they would just shoot out. But the tricky thing about a net is that you only get one shot. Because you, like, you, re- yeah. you release the net. And if you your aim is off, then, oh, well, screw you. It doesn't do a
1: thing. And now you've released a net into the problems. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Which probably just makes things worse. So, yeah, they, they decided yeah. on the claw function. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, good luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> and then um, Australia has this plan to use powerful lasers
1: Ugh, I don't to like nudge <laughs> space
0: debris.
1: <laughs> like, that one seems scary to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're, just, they're pointing lasers at this space object i guess hoping that it heats up a little or or that they can yeah push it around with the laser so that it falls back to the atmosphere um so those are ways that people are trying to remove the space junk that is already there but We also have to try and figure out how to stop putting so much junk up into space. So there is a whole field of law devoted to space. It is appropriately called space law. And they have a lot further that they need to go. A lot more needs to be done in the realm of space law. IMO. But these space lawyers need to make laws preventing us from generating a lot of space trash. But it's really difficult because you're dealing with international politics and uh, like social issues Mm -hmm. and like what body will have the power to tell all of the countries around the world what they can and cannot do in space yes the closest thing we have is the united nations you know, not everyone is going to listen to the United Nations. Um, some people will say they're listening to the United Nations, but they're really not listening to the United Nations, you know? <laughs> um, and so there are a couple offices at the UN that are relevant here. The first is the UN's Office of Outer Space Affairs. Okay. Love that name. Uh, they I do. have put forth guidelines and best practices, but like, who says people are going to follow those? Yeah. Um, and then the other office is, I guess it's not an office, um, but it's a committee on the peaceful uses of outer space. And different nations around the world have signed five treaties coming out of this committee that protect space and its pristine nature from mm-hmm. the the chaos of human ingenuity. Um, so the first of these treaties is the Outer Space Treaty. Real creative name there. They they were thinking hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, they really were on that one.
0: <laughs> the Outer Space Treaty says things like, no one owns space. And uh, you True. can't have a weapon of mass destruction in orbit. Yeah. Um, and also, every country is responsible for any damage done by their spacecraft. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So that treaty did a lot. It set up a lot of precedents and conditions that people needed to meet. And then there's the Rescue Treaty, which I, I love. I'm glad we thought of this. The Rescue Treaty says that astronauts or uh, valuable space objects, even if they're from another nation, must be rescued and returned. And I think that we have something similar in oceans here. Like if you see someone stranded in an ocean, like you have to rescue them. Yeah,
1: sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I buy it. I, I buy hope so. If I, if I ever find myself in the ocean, I got to hope that... <laughs> Yes. There's a moral code where I will be saved. <laughs>
0: um, so that's the rescue treaty out in space. The moon agreement says that celestial bodies can only be used for peaceful purposes. Aw. Good. Which I love.
1: Correct. Correct. <laughs> but like. We're not fighting a war on the moon. <laughs>
0: well, we're not supposed to fight a war on the moon, Corinne. But who, who, there's no, there's no. I don't like the police, but there's no space law police. Like yeah, there's no totally. one. There's no one sitting there's in no a traffic overseeing. stop out in the asteroid belt deciding if you're breaking space traffic laws. Like, they, we That's don't true. have anyone to enforce this.
1: Yeah. I like to think that, that we could all do it. We could all just shake hands and agree, but I don't know. It only takes one bad egg. I know. <laughs> would that we could, Corinne. Like, I really do wish. I would let us try it first. Us like you and me? Yeah, yeah. You and I go up there first and see if we can get along. Okay. Um, next, pale blue pod. We're
0: recording from the moon,
1: <laughs> the cozy spot of the moon. Oh my god! Silent in the background. We are gonna
0: have to record future episodes out in space. Like we're gonna get there. Oh eventually. yeah, of course. We'll okay. get there. But we'll we'll work up to it.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: It's something to look forward to, listeners. <laughs> um, and then there are there are two conventions that have been signed. Uh, one of them is the Liability Convention, which I think just restates a lot of stuff from the Outer Space Treaty. It says, like, hey, if one of your space-related objects damages something, you have to pay for it. Um, yeah, that or, makes like, sense. like, make it right. You break it, you buy it. You of. break it, you buy it. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, I think this is this is a good idea too. The registration convention. So Ooh, if you are okay. putting something up into space, you have to register it um so that we know it's there. Yeah, we tag it.
1: Again, pe- pe- people are so sneaky. Who's the reg- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which feels crazy because I when I think of space and launching things to space, I think of it as an extremely formal process. Mm-hmm. But it but maybe it's not. <laughs> there.
0: If you have enough money, you can launch your own shit into space. And That's that, so I think, psycho. is the real thing space law needs to focus on next. Uh, yeah. We need to focus on the commercial space sector. We need mm-hmm. to make it so that individual people who have way more money than anyone ever should have yeah. can't just decide that they want to go into space one day or can't just decide that they want to put up hundreds of satellites in low Earth orbit for for a service that doesn't even work well. well exactly. That's what I'm thinking. My like Starlink doesn't even work well. <laughs> and it's Wait, just polluting. is
1: that car still up there? Yes. Is that space car still out there? Of course that space car is still out there. We oh, don't... The claw no. is not going after space cars. A space car. <laughs> that is probably, to me, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> I am not a space car fan. Mm-hmm. I, I have watched
0: small human beings literally eat a rock and that is still (laughs) the dumbest thing I've ever seen.
1: (laughs) That's exploration. That's Mm. true exploration. When a child eats a rock or puts a rock up their nose, that to me is discovery. (laughs) The car in space, I don't know what that is. (laughs) That's just a
0: future scientist
1: right there. Yeah, But a car in
0: space, that's just a sad dude going through a really sad life crisis. That's just someone showing off. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Corinne, I know that the best idea of the Claw arcade game has been taken, but... How would you solve this space junk
1: problem? Okay, this is this this is the moment of the podcast I have been dreading because I put in our notes that I have an amazing. I, I wrote quote I have an amazing idea. Actually, you did. You did. Guess write what? That. I cannot remember what my amazing <laughs> idea was. <laughs> so there was a point in time probably late late in the night i'm looking through our notes and i was like i know exactly how i would solve this <laughs> and right now i couldn't tell you <laughs> but okay i think it would be a matter of i think it wouldn't be far from the claw to be honest yeah. i think it would be like a collection and removal type scenario maybe some giant net like not the net that we launch but like mm. Like, uh, have you seen those like buoyant things that they put in the ocean to kind of huddle? Put like um, yes, garbage in a thing. I, that's yes. the kind of thing I, I'm I'm hoping we can do.
0: I think we can do that. So there, there's a thing called interferometry where you get a bunch of different telescopes to work together as one. And uh, for a long time, the idea of space interferometry was like beyond what we could consider capable. Or possible. And now we are planning a space-based interferometer uh, called LISA. And that was a long walk to get to this one point where if we now have the ability to make sure different telescopes in space can stay in the same spot relative to each other to create an interferometer, then we can mm-hmm. have two telescopes holding on to different ends of this
1: net and just fly yeah. around Earth Gathering up all the space junk. Yeah, yeah. That would be really cool. That mm-hmm. would really do a big cleanup, I think. hmm Lisa. And to be named Lisa. Lisa. Yeah, it's the, uh, the maybe it's the LIGO
0: Interferometer Space Observatory or space something. It seems something. like
1: they got that name right, too. Like Dart. <laughs> like Lisa Dart, and yeah. Dart. Um, Um, I, it's funny that we talked about this. I did write a three episode radio drama for Yale Summer Cabaret last summer about three women astronauts in space who they're cleaning up space junk and they're pretty pissed about it. They want the kind of glory of going to the moon. Oh, um, oh! Of course, they have the women astronauts cleaning yeah, up the junk. Exactly, and then they have, and then they like kind of nobly launch a young woman to the moon, and she's like so young and hot and cool, and like all the other astronauts who are kind of past their prime. Are like, damn it. Um, but it's a it's a story of them working together in the end. It, I did put it on my website, mm-hmm. and the music is by Evan Johnston, who does our music for Pebble Plot.
0: Is there anything else you want to say about space junk? Corinne, this was, you You wanted to learn about space junk. Have I I answered all of your questions? Have I I sated
1: your curiosity? You really have. I think the best thing I learned is that it's not, um, or rather, asteroids and comets are probably not as dangerous as I thought. Mm. And I could redirect my attention towards the human-made danger zone that we've created.
0: Yeah, like, like most things, the real danger is not coming from it's the nature. It's the people. It's
1: what it's the people are doing. It's coming from inside the Earth,
0: yeah. <laughs> the danger is coming from inside the atmosphere. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad um, that you yeah. were so satisfied by, by whatever I told you about space junk. Um, yeah, I
1: appreciate the garbage truck. <laughs> it just happened and it has now all left my brain. Yeah, just release it the same way they released all the other stuff. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, but I see someone who is getting up to go get a specific book that I have been eyeing on the shelf. This entire you conversation. You gotta go get it. So well, I, I, gotta I, gotta go. go get it. I gotta go.
1: <laughs> All right, I'll hold this seat for when you come back. But okay, thank you. And I guess everyone, before we say goodbye, you should remember you are space. Yeah, you are not space junk. <laughs>
0: Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton.
1: Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions.
0: If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate
1: you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye.